Be seated. Good to see you guys. You look great. You're like looking at me going, oh, he hasn't seen the person next to me. That was an awful thing to say. You shouldn't have said that. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So this uh, this is our last message in our series on the miracles of Christmas. And today we talk about the greatest miracle of all. Um, throughout all of it, we've just been amazed that God became came to earth, that God became a human, that God came to set us free. Today we look at how he came, not just for the world, but for you. So I'd like to jump in into the most unique Christmas uh, rendition of the Gospels, John chapter 1. And let me, let's just read that together. It'll be on the screen. Just follow along the best you can. John says, this is how he tells the Christmas story. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. And the Word gave life to everything that was created and His life brought life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Jesus himself, or John himself, was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. And he came into the world he created. And the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about Him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for He existed long before me. From His abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. But God's unfailing love or grace and faithfulness or truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is Himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Amen. Amen. That's God's Word, man. That's solid. John 1, 1 through 18 is the basis for this entire series. So, although we don't always read entire texts today, I thought it was appropriate to make sure you heard the Christmas story from a more cosmic perspective, an eternal one. And that's what John 1, 1 through 18 is. It's, it's John seeing things in a larger way. You know, this time of year is a good time of year for a lot of things. And one of the things it's a great time of year for is to realize that you and I need help. Can you agree with that? Need help? How many men are in the house for your man just go, Ugh, like that there, man. Ugh. Are you done with your Christmas shopping? That was low. That was really low, what I did. All the men are like, that turkey threw me on the bus, man. That's exactly how you should feel. I, uh, there's a lot of things in life I'm good at, but it's not gift-giving. In fact, 
I asked my wife last night, I said, listen, honey, tomorrow I need to tell them about my gift giving and I need you to tell me some of the terrible gifts I've given you. And she goes, I can't remember any. <laughs> She's good. She, 32 years of marriage, that lady's amazing. I'm just saying, she put up with a lot of suffering. I'm just not. When it comes to gifts, like, I need help, man. I don't know what it is. There's something about gifts I don't understand. I mean, are there any gift givers in here? I know some of you are gift givers. I know it personally. Some of you are gift givers. And so you, my wife is. She's, in fact, here's how it works at our house. This is so awful. This is how it works. Christy takes care of gifts for everybody else, and I take care of Christy. And here's how this goes every year. Everyone else gets amazing gifts. Christy gets lousy gifts. <laughs> so, anyway, it's just how it goes. But uh, so that's one of those things. I need help. I'm not good. I don't understand what gifts communicate. You know, to me, I, I get a gift. It's, it's a gift. There, I love you. I think, I think about this woman more than anybody else in the world, and I still can't buy her a decent gift. But nonetheless, when it comes to Christmas, you got to remember, we needed help. God coming to earth, that's an extreme solution. You understand that, right? And that's something you really need to wrap your head around as we talk about Jesus coming and the Christmas story a bit today. God becoming human is the most radical and extreme thing you could possibly imagine. It's beyond anything you could ever hope to understand how far outside the bounds this is. And so this is a miracle that God would come to earth, become human, become his creation. It's so great. It's difficult to comprehend what is exactly going on in the Christmas story. And so today that's our, our task is to, to climb into this story a little bit, pull some things out of it to see it for what it is. got to admit the story itself is a bit strange. I mean, if you really think about it. Now, of course, we have our Americanized Western view of the Christmas story, and probably in the average mind, maybe not alls, but in the average mind, the Christmas story is some beautiful, calm, peaceful mental image for you. You see that dark, starry night with that single star perfectly placed in the sky over this half of a barn. <laughs> Beautiful young woman and, and father behind his, you know, like for family portraits, they're behind a feed trough of all things. And there's this baby there, and you got the three wise guys, uh, three wise men, sorry, it's the Michael rendition coming out, you know, and they're, they're off to one side, and you got these nice, clean looking shepherds, and the animals are just standing there being so quiet because that's what animals do. But then you begin to set that Christmas image in reality. And you see a couple who's been not just inconvenienced, but like tragically harmed by a government edict. And they have to ride, Mary has to ride a donkey, nine months pregnant, back to Bethlehem. And, and they, there's nowhere to stay. The light is not on at the Motel 6. Sorry, that was an old, <laughs> old reference there. And they end up in this barn. And so you see this couple suffering unduly in my thought, but that's what governments do. They kind of make us suffer sometimes. You, you see these shepherds come up. I mean, shepherds hang out with sheep. You know, these animals, they have that def, you know, a definite shepherd smell going on. 
running into a barn, smelling very similar to the animals in the barn, you know? And just rough, I mean, I don't know if you've known many shepherds. I've known a few. Everyone I've known is a little bit crusty. No, 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 no. I don't want him to hurt me, but I mean, <laughs> they're here right now. Anyway, you got these, these rich wise men, kings from Babylon, that, that show up and, and are there in this intimidating display. I mean, you see the, the three in the nativity, but the, there were so many of them that the city of Jerusalem is shaken by their presence. There, there, were, there was a small army with these guys, maybe a medium-sized army with these guys when they show up. And then you got Herod. Herod, who is just a jerk and very selfish. And by the end of the real Christmas story, which was really about two years long, at the end of that story, you have this poor couple running for their lives, carrying Jesus away to Egypt, and Herod raiding the city and killing all the children, all the boys under two years of age. This is a, this beautiful, glorious, peaceful image that we have of a silent night was actually set in the midst of chaos, hate, anger, and murder. And yet it was still somehow peaceful. You still have the age devoted Simeon coming to the temple because God told him he was going to get to see the Messiah that day. You have the 80 plus year old Anna in there singing praises to the Messiah that day. It's, it's beauty, it's truth, it's love set in the midst of hate, chaos, anger, infuriation. That's the, the Christmas story. And if, and if your understanding of this story doesn't transcend all of those things. You don't get it. You don't get the chaos of it, the, the power of it, and the true beauty of it. And what you should be asking yourself right now is you, as you hear these little pieces of the story, not even well drawn together, but there they are out on the table like a puzzle that needs to be put together. The question you need to ask yourself is why? Why is it chaos and peace? Why is it love and hate? Why is it joy and suffering? And here's why. Jesus is the first time that we see heaven invade earth through a person. We've seen heaven invade earth around a person a great deal in the Old Testament, but this is the first time we see heaven invade earth through a person. And this would be how the new covenant would operate, by the way. But that aside, I want you to realize what the significance of heaven invading earth is. Guys, if it's good in this world, it did not come from this world. Love did not come from this world. Some guy thousands of years ago didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I think we are to love people. No, that didn't happen. If, if it was good, if it was true, nowhere in this world could it have ever happened that someone said, hey, I think we should tell the truth from now on. If it's good in this world, it did not come from this world. And so here's how good got here. It got here because it originated with God and came here either around people or through Jesus. So here's what's happening in the Christmas story. Heaven is invading earth. Love. Real, sacrificial, unconditional love is being born. Peace. Peace. Unexplainable, beyond understandable peace is arriving in our reality. It did not come from here. It is foreign from here. It is alien to here. 
And so we have a story in which the harshness and the cruelty of the world is being invaded by love and joy and heaven. Does that make sense? That's the Christmas story. So why? Again, back to why. Why would God go through all this trouble? Why would God find such an extreme solution to our problem? What is going on? What, what did we need that Jesus brought us? So let's talk about some of those things as we work through this story and consider some of these ideas. Jesus first brought us a few things, and one of the things he brought us was truth. And I would argue, and I would at least win in my own mind, maybe not yours, but I would argue that before Jesus and without God, there is no truth in the world. And you're like, well, what does that matter? I think that's one of the most incredibly relevant things today than ever. We live in the age of false news. I had never even heard that term till like 2016. Fake news out there, right? People comes out, and how many of you, you're going through uh, your social media, you're on the internet, you encounter a story. Jelly beans cure cancer. And you're like, I love jelly beans. I'm never, I'm not going to have to get that colonoscopy after all. You're like, that was a terrible image. I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. I'm just sorry. Forgive me. I am so human. It's just terrible. You, you hear these, these things and you're like, is it true? And then you're, you're terrified because you, not, you found these things in the past and immediately shared them on your, your media stream. You're like, oh, look, jelly beans cure cancer. And you're just like, well, all my friends need to know. Boom, like, share, jelly beans cure cancer. And then all your friends are like, you're a moron. We love you, but you're cute and all, but nah, that's not true. And, and here's some review from some other place. And, and we all are kind of, this is where we are in our history today. But here's the thing. Every generation thinks that the problem of its generation are unique to its generation. And guys, I'm here to tell you, the problems have been around a long time. They haven't changed. They just spread a little differently today. Not even any faster, just differently. And it has always been a world where it is hard to find out what's true. They used to call this the information age or the communication age. I call it the misinformation age. It's just hard to find out what's true. Have you ever, like me, sometimes I'm like, dear God, I actually pray, dear God, would you help me find some real news? I would like to know what's really going on. <clears throat> well, it's always been that way. The Bible says in John 18, Jesus is on trial and about to get crucified. And he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, So, you're a king. And Jesus responded, You say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And look at Pilate's response. What is truth? You see, 2,000 years ago, people didn't know what the truth was then either. This isn't a new thing. But that's the great news about the Christmas story. This is part of the miracle. Jesus came to tell us the truth. Now, parts of the truth aren't going to be very comforting to you because he came to tell us the truth, one, about ourselves. And that's not something we actually want to know. It's true because, you know, here's what we like to we like to think that all the problems in the world are caused by someone outside of us. 
Isn't that a wonderful thing to believe? The government is causing all my problems. The city council is causing all my problems. The IRS is causing all my problems. Jason Peake is causing all my problems. <laughs> Be nice to blame it on somebody, right? But Jesus came and he basically said, Hey, you're the problem. You, specifically, you, all the world's problems on you. No, I'm just kidding. Mankind, us, we're the problem because of a thing called sin. <laughs> you probably won't hear that, ter- that word anywhere else in the world other than in a, in a Bible teaching church on a Sunday morning. Sin. We don't like the sound of the word. It just sounds so condemning. We like this word. This is better. Mistakes. Oh, that's so soft. <laughs> Jesus came and died on the cross for my mistakes. That's how I feel about it. Let me tell you the difference between sin and a mistake. A mistake is when you take the wrong exit off I-15 in Salt Lake City. Okay? You go down, you end up in a neighborhood you didn't really want to get into, but you drive a block, you take a left, and bang, you're back on the interstate. A mistake is correctable. You can fix a mistake. You get up, you put on, your husband dresses himself that day, it does not match. You can fix that, right? You can't fix your husband, but you can fix that, right? You can't fix sin. Sin is a broken relationship with God that we broke intentionally. Sin is a war declared against God's holiness that we declared, not Him. We are the problem. You can't fix this. No amount of a sorry is going to make this go away. You can't just stand before God and say, well, hey, I'm sorry I goofed up and expect him to do anything other than he's already done about it. We've got to change our understanding of sin because we've made it something that doesn't matter. We've made it into this soft thing we call mistakes, and that's not what it is at all. It's a hard thing that broke the world. I'm serious. Sin broke everything. We broke our relationship with God First commandment stands through any covenant in the Bible is love God with all your heart. We rejected that commandment, broke our relationship with Him, and that's why every other relationship in our life is either broken or under stress because our primary relationship is broken with God. Sin is the cause of all of that. Jesus came to tell you, tell us the truth. Hey man, sin's the problem. And sin is on you, it's in you, and comes out of you, so you're the problem. Now, you're like, dude, this is a bummer. I'm not feeling very Christmassy right now. That's intended. It gets worse before it gets better. <clears throat> so Jesus came to tell us the truth about ourselves, but then he also came to tell us the truth about God. Because here's the thing, we declared the war, mankind broke the relationship, and I love how the enemy, the great deceiver, the twister of all things, the ultimate manipulator, takes things that he has done and that we have done and blames God for those things. And so the false news, the fake news running the planet right now is God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God's mad at you. God's looking for a reason to crush you. God doesn't care or God doesn't exist. So this, this is running out there, and we want to believe that because we want everything to be someone else's problem, not our problem. We want to think that there's nothing we can do. We need to be victims so we don't have to change. 
Did that settle in? It needed to really bad. And so Jesus came and said, hey, that's not what God's like. God's, here's what God's like. This is, so Jesus came, born as a, child, as a baby, comes in the world and lives this amazing life. And he reaches out and he touches people and he teaches people and he corrects people and he's gentle with people and he heals people and raises people from the dead and loves on people. And every act, every day, what Jesus is saying through his ministry and his life is this. This is what Father is like. This is how he loves you. This is what he wants to do for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to save you. That's the truth. This image of God, this, I, was, I had a friend share something this week, something terrible had happened in their life. And the first question, I get this all the time, this terrible thing happened. And this person said, it's times like this when I doubt God. Now, I have to keep my mouth shut sometimes because there are scenarios it's not good to address things, and this was one of those. But that, is, that hurts me so much to hear this because I'm like, I'm looking at the situation, I kind of know what happened, and I'm like, God didn't do that. Why do you doubt God over something he did not do? That was a choice of a human being, a choice of a man, or a choice of the enemy, not God. God loves. How do I know God loves? Because of Christmas, dude. God invaded earth. God, the creator, became the creation. That is extreme. I mean, that, that's, that is powerful. That's the truth. So Jesus came to bring a truth about us, about God, and about what life really is. He showed us that by demonstrating God and being a vessel that God could live and work through, that that's what it really is to be alive. And so he taught us the truth about those things. And that's wonderful. So what should you take from these truths that I've shared? What, what are some summaries? Well, here's one. Everybody matters to God. Can you remember that? Everybody. <laughs> the liberals are going, I don't think conservatives matter. Conservatives are going, I don't think the liberals matter. The government's going, I don't think the people matter. Oh, oops. <laughs> they all matter. You matter. The neighbor that's bugging you matters. The annoying person that you work with matters. The person in prison matters. The homeless guy matters. The mom who's totally goofed up and lost her kid, kids matters. Everybody matters to God. Every one. You will never see a face on this planet that Jesus did not come to earth and die for you will never meet that face. Amen? Amen? Everyone matters, and you matter to God. He cares. I don't know how He puts up with me, but some days I'm proud, and I don't know how He puts up with you. Right? <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. We're, you know, I don't know how God puts up with me, but He loves me, and I matter to Him. The second truth is this. The problem is sin, man. Sin, singular. The power of sin. The root of sin. That's the problem, and you can't fix the problem. You can't fix it, okay? So yeah, you matter, but there's a big problem. Our sins have come between us and God. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, it says, Listen, the Lord's arm's not too weak to save you, nor is ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen to you anymore. Sins are the issue. But you know what? 
You can't make sin less. But you've got to look at what God did about sin and realize that He has met the conditions, that He did something when you couldn't do anything. And so the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus, not you. Not more religion. Not living better. Not trying to improve your financial situation or making your family better. The answer is Jesus. He met the needs. He paid the debt. And He came for us. So, Jesus came to bring us the truth. So there's another. that's the first thing I want to talk about. He brought the truth. Next thing He brought us, salvation. Because Jesus being the answer, He moves into another concept, an idea of being saved. And I think it's a wonderful idea. Do you like the idea of being saved? How many of you would like to be saved from the Christmas you've got going on right now? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Husbands are shushing me. Stop it. Stop. Don't talk anymore. Okay, guys. I look in the world around me. And I, I have a great life. I enjoy wonderful things. But I have to admit that the world I live in is kind of a terrible place. That, that awful things happen here. I, and some of those things I don't understand. I don't understand how they could exist. How can a child or even a family in the United States of America go hungry through Christmas or any time of the year? How can that happen? How can someone in this wonderful nation escape justice just because they have money or are powerful or are clever? How can that happen? How is it that I live in a world, not just a country, but how is it that I live in a world where every unborn child doesn't at least get the inalienable right to be born? How is that a thing? You know what I'm talking about? And one more. How can I live in a country and a world where a thing like human trafficking exists. Does that tick anybody else off but me? People talk, why, they, they get upset about slavery, and here we live in a world where it's happening every day, regardless of race, nationality, or anything. How can that happen? There were 12 cases of human trafficking in, in Wyoming last year. Six of them were minors, 12 cases. You're like, well, that's, that's only 12. That's the ones they caught. That's the ones that were caught. We live on I-80. It's a corridor for this. Here's my, here's my point. You're like, what, you're, what are you doing? Just trying to make me feel bad at Christmas? No. <sighs> Although, it's working. <laughs> my point is, here's God coming to earth. When you were a kid, did you ever hear your mother scream from the kitchen into your room, Don't you make me come in there! Or my personal favorite, don't you make me stop the car. My dad never stopped the car. He would just drive, swing at you, weave himself fine. I, I, I was a kid in the 70s. Most terrible noise ever, a belt coming out of its loop. Now, I know today that's considered child abuse, but back then it was, it was prevention for attention deficit disorder. <laughs> <clears throat> and if you had a dad with large girth, it could take a while. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having way more fun than I should right now. <clears throat> so I, I saw that billboard. 
don't make me come down there, God, somewhere. And, and, and I realized God did come. He walked in the room. He stepped up to the, the place where the gavel sits, well, whatever. He's walked in. But he did not judge us. He did not rip his belt out of the loops. He, he did not drop the gavel. You understand that, right? God did come. This has already happened. And what did he do? Did he come and judge us? Did he come and terrify us? Jesus says, I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Wow. Man, we deserve, it. We deserve the spanking or sent to our rooms or whatever. But God came. Jesus came to save. Now, it's a great idea. But right now, in your mind, it's still kind of out there. So let's bring it in here. Because Jesus came to save the world, yes, but he also came to save you. Now, you may be sitting there going, I don't, I don't know that I need saved. Ah, good. It fits right into the sermon. It's like I wrote it there. Let's say Christmas is in a few days. Let's say that you are expecting guests to come over and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and you get your house ready. You know, you clean it up. Guys, you fix things. Do whatever your wife tells you to get it ready. I mean, not that you can't do it on your own, but it's safer if you do what she says. <laughs> and I mean, you're within a couple hours of, you know, people coming over. And they're not just annoying family. They're people you actually like, you know. That kind of get-together. You're like, we've never done that at Christmas before. But I'm just saying, it could happen, you know? And these people are coming over, and your house is ready, and it's spotless and clean. The food's ready. It's got that nice smell as everything, it's wafting through the air. And there's a knock at your front door. And you go to the front door, and you open it up because it's too early for your guests to arrive. And standing at your front door is this unkempt, disheveled, homeless person. And they are filthy from head to toe and their hair is matted down and you can smell them through the door. And they're muddy because they've been laying down on sidewalks and in the gutter and stuff's just dripping off of them. And they come to your door and they say to you through the door, say, hey, I'm really tired of being homeless and I'm decided I'm going to live with you. <laughs> How would that go? <laughs> You're like, boom. <laughs> Anyway, so, okay, like what does that have to do with anything? The average person, that they're going to clock through this life and one day get to their death. And their plan is that because every, I've never met a person who didn't want to go to heaven when they die. And their plan is to do life however they see fit, get through their funeral, and then stand at the gates of heaven. But here's the thing. Heaven is perfect. There's, there's no sorrow in heaven. There's no shame in heaven. There's no guilt. There's no sin. There's no mistakes. There's no pain. There's no grief. There's no tears. Heaven is perfect in every possible way. And the average American or Westerner today thinks they're going to walk out of this 
filthy, broken life, with their filthy, broken heart, living in their filthy, messed up sins and mistakes, and stand at the door of heaven just like that homeless person going, well, I can't live anymore, so I just want to live here. What happens to heaven if God starts letting people in like you? People who are broken, who are grieving, who are filled with pain and sorrow. Are you with me? Do you understand the gravity of this situation? This is why we need saved. You can't clean yourself up for that. You don't have the means for it. You can't make your broken heart whole again. You don't even know how that stuff works. You can't clean all the, the things that are wrong out of your life. You can't just stop grieving. You can't just push the sorrow out of your own heart. You can't just stop the pain. None of those things do you have the power within you to fix. You can't do this. You need saved. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus, the only unbroken person who ever lived, the only sinless person who ever lived, the only perfect person who ever lived, the only human being to ever exist who did not owe the wages of sin, which is death. Romans 6.23. The only one. And yet he did die. We know, historically proven fact, we know that he died on a cross. We know also through the record of over 500 witnesses that three days after he was crucified, he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ came. We couldn't fix ourselves. He was the only unbroken one, and he was broken on our behalf so that we could be made whole. He's the only answer. He's the one who saves. Does that make sense? You with me? That's why Paul wrote, I mean, Peter said in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I need saved. It's a hard thing to admit, but I need saved. I need the truth, and Jesus brought it. I need salvation, and Jesus was it. And then I also need to live. Jesus brought life. You see, most people, their approach to religion is very afterlife-oriented, very investing in now to secure some kind of future. So that's what most religions are. You do stuff now, and then later you're saved. It matters after you die. But that's not the way real Christianity is. Yeah, fake Christianity is that way, but that's like fake news. In real Christianity, not only did Jesus Christ come so that you could have eternal life, He came also so that you could have life now. So real and true religion is, faith, is, is built upon being alive and experiencing life now, Verses and later. Does that make sense? You're like, what are you talking about, Michael? Well, Jesus put it this way, John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So how's your life going? How's your faith going? I don't see a lot of believers who are really enjoying being believers. In fact, a lot of believers 
they look like they're trying to win a dill pickle contest. <laughs> they're like, the sadder I look, the more spiritual I am. I don't know where that comes from. Second hesitations, maybe. I don't know. That's not a book of the Bible. You start looking it up, you're going to get lost and confused. But somebody must have one somewhere because the word's getting around that Christians are miserable. And this is what the average Christian experience is. I see people all the time that even call themselves believers, and they are, they're, not, they're not enjoying their life. They're living in the chaos and in the hatred and in the, the suffering of this life, just like Jesus did, but they're not experiencing the kingdom part of it. They're stuck in jobs that they either hate or they're bored to death by. They, they live like that they didn't get to choose their life, that it was just handed to them. And they live like this for years and, and just kind of survive and escape and survive and escape until one day someone they care about passes away. And then they have a, a small, usually short season of reflection and realize this isn't working. They usually try and make some changes at that point, but seldom do they turn to the one who can really change them. And they end up often worse than they were before. That's how a lot of people are doing life. And I know that a lot of us in this room are doing life that way too. And that's not what Jesus died for. That's not salvation. I didn't, I'm not saying that your circumstances in life won't be challenging. What I am saying is that even though your circumstances may be challenging, heaven is invading earth through you. That changes how you live and look in the circumstances. Does that make sense? So Jesus died to bring real life, real life to us. What is real life? Real life is where you're satisfied. Real life is experiencing real satisfaction in life. It was it Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no satisfaction? You want me to sing? I could do a dance too. No dance. <laughs> that got their attention. He's going to dance. I don't dance without my leotards. Just saying. There you go. Mick can't get any satisfaction, and neither, can any, neither does anyone else. Why? Because we're trying to get satisfied in an unsatisfied place. Only your Father, only the Son, only the Spirit satisfies. Anything outside of that's an escape, a distraction at best. You may call it fun, you might enjoy it for a moment, but it will not satisfy. Only Jesus Christ will satisfy. And that's the life that Jesus brought. So as I, as I get to the end of this message, and there's still a ways to go, so don't get excited. But I get to the end of this message. We talked about truth that's here because Jesus brought it, salvation that's here because Jesus brought it, and life that's possible because Jesus made it so. I got to ask you a question. Are you alive? Are you saved? Have you found the truth? It's okay to be on a journey. It's okay to have questions. In fact, we encourage that. We are not afraid of questions with ordinary faith because our God is so big, He answers all of them. Okay? And you as a Christian never have to fear honest questions of your faith. The enemy makes you afraid so that you, will, you won't answer them. But if you will give God a minute, 
He will give you an answer every time. <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to drive home today is, what are you going to do with this? Some of you in this room have not hit your defining moment. You haven't hit that place in your life where you drew a line in the sand and you said, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ. I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. I surrender to Him. And that's what today is about. That's what Christmas is about. Here's this God who's gone to these incredibly extreme measures to save you. The greatest tragedy of any life is not that it ends in some horrible way, but that it ends without a soul acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's a tragedy. I promise you, you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you surrender to Him as the King of your life, death will not be a problem. Promise, that's true. He says, anyone who believes in me will never see death. I love that promise. I share it all the time. That means that when I get to the point in my life that Michael dies and I come up on that big, scary death's door, that as it creaks open, that the light of Christ and his face will be there waiting for me. I ain't scared. Okay? Amen? But for that to be a comfort in your life, you must surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must trust Him to save you, that what He did will save you. You must do this. And if you need time and you have questions, I'm here for you. Pastor Michael, Pastor Steve, several in the leadership are here for you to help answer those. But if you're also sitting here this morning and go, Dude, what am I waiting for? That's who I want to talk to for a minute. Okay? I want to challenge you to stop being your own God. I, I want to challenge you to get rid of that line in your life where your heart says, I do what I want. I want to challenge you to strike that through. Cast it out of your heart. And I want to challenge you to surrender to Jesus Christ. The God who became a baby lived a, a, an incredibly normal, ordinary, and then powerful life died and rose again for you. I want to challenge you to surrender to the King of Kings. But I want to warn you first. And I tell you what, I also want to say to you guys who have had the defining moment, but no one warned you, so I'm going to warn you now. It's too late, but here it is. Surrendering to Christ will change your life. That means you don't walk out of here surrendered to Christ and do what you would have done on your own before again. You walk out of this place surrendered with Him on the throne of your life. I'll tell you some things it means practically. Practically, here's some things it means. First of all, it means this. You get baptized. Now you're sitting there going, what does getting dunked in water, almost drowned by a big guy, what does that do? First of all, baptisms are so much cooler when you get to resurrect someone at the end. Just kidding. That's not true. I mean, it is true, but I, I've never done that. So, First, you get baptized. Why? Well, Jesus said so, and he's the boss right now. This is your first step that says Jesus is Lord. You can say Jesus is the Lord of your life and, and it not really mean anything. Baptism is the first step that says Jesus is Lord of my life. He said to get baptized, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get baptized. Does that make sense? It also makes a public statement. It says, now I live for Christ. Old me washes down the river and new me lives for Jesus. So baptism is so important. Next thing you do, these, these are practical things. They're kind of like crutches to get you walking in the Christian life. They're not in and of themselves powerful, but what they can do for you is powerful. The second thing you do is you start reading the Bible. 
Read the Bible. You're like, why? That thing is hard to read. Well, some of the more modern translations are a little easier to read. That's why I use the NLT. But the main thing you need from the Bible is to hear from God. There's a passage in Hebrews that says, do not ignore God who is speaking to you. Okay, so God has stuff to say to you every day. He is just from heaven, you know, sending his word to you. So get in the word so that you can hear what God has to say. Then devote yourself to prayer. Why? Because believe it or not, there's a lot of things in life you don't know. I know that's hard to believe if you're young, but every year you'll realize it more and more. I'm dumb. <laughs> I don't know anything. And so, yeah, that's, that's wisdom when you don't know anything. So... <clears throat> I'm not going to get lost. Lord, help me stay on point here. All right. <laughs> Devote yourself to prayer. That way you're in connection with the throne room, with mission control. And, and, he, and God can direct you and even keep you from things that you don't even know are a danger to you. Another thing, share your faith. Share your faith. Why, Michael? I mean, it's, isn't faith a private thing? If you discovered the cure for cancer tomorrow morning and you're reading time, would you just write it in your journal, close it up, stick it in the drawer, and go about your day? No. You would let every soul you could find know that you'd found the cure for the scourge of modern society. Well, Jesus is the cure for the worst problem eternity has ever known, sin. He's the cure for it. If you can keep that silent, you have no idea what you have found. That's why you need to share your faith. You also need to start expecting God to do impossible stuff. I'm a little tired of Christians not believing in miracles anymore. It annoys me, all right? Why? Have you read the book of Acts? It's freaky in there. It creates, like there's times I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, there's a passage where Paul is passing out napkins to heal people. There <laughs> you go. <sighs> I don't think that's how it went, but it's funny. God of Acts, God of Rock Springs 2019, same God. God hasn't changed. His people have changed, but not God. And so as a Christian, you have access to heaven now and miracles and the impossible and things can change. So we need to stop thinking that things are impossible because nothing is with God. And the last thing. And this is the toughest one, I think. You need to realize that it is normal for Christians to suffer. It is normal for Christians to suffer. I realize that does not fit modern theology that gets all the press and sells all the books, but I don't care. The truth is, what's happening in you is the same thing that happened in Jesus. God is invading earth. Here's what happens when God invades earth. The world reacts. There are those who react in hate. And there are those who react in love. And there are those who are so dead they react not at all. But the issue is, is that Christians suffer because the kingdom of heaven is invading earth through their lives and there are people who are not going to like it. It's okay. We're not here to save everybody, we're here to save everyone we can. But our issue today is that everyone in this room has had their defining moment, placed their faith in Christ, put Jesus in the Lord of their life. 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you to stand. If you would do that, if you'd stand with me for a minute. I need my prayer guys over on the tables ready to go. While you're standing, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. I, I know it's a little weird, but I'd like to have a one-on-one -on -one with you in a big group like this. And you're probably going, that's strange. Please bear with me. Please bear with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never had your defining moment, or if you're not sure, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I've told you what this is going to take. This is going to change your life. So you need to know what you're getting into. You're getting into a life change. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to pray. I'm going to give you an example of what to pray, but what you pray is on you. You have to have a heart-to-heart -heart with Papa, with God right now. But maybe it goes something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot fix these sins. I can't make myself whole. But God, I believe that you sent Jesus to save me. I believe. And right now, I surrender to you. I'm not my God anymore. You are. I don't live for me now. You do. I live for you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Over on my right, your left, Pastor Michael, Brother Leonard, you can have some more over there. They're over there, ready to help you with anything that's going on. But if you just made that decision for Christ, I'm going to ask you to go talk to them. We're about to start singing. I'm going to ask you to take your seat and go over to that side and talk to them. Or you can catch me. I'll be at the front. Whatever it takes. But you cannot leave this place with such a decision as a secret. So I pray you prayed, trusted Christ, and you will go talk to someone before you leave today. This is of utmost importance. Now you Christians in the room, I love you too. You're not getting left out. This is about surrender. And we can all lose our way and try and climb back on the throne of our own hearts. And if that's what's going on in your life right now, you probably already know what to do. Father, thank You. Thank You that You're a God who saves. Thank You, Lord, that of all the things that You could have done, you came to save us. And I pray that no one leaves this place without having You as their Father, Jesus as their Lord, and the Spirit as their life today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Steve. Amen.